Am I in the room now? No, I'm still not. I'm, oh, I am now. I am. We're winning. Good. Okay. So we're carrying on our um, series in Acts, and today we're going to be in Acts 4, um, verses 1 to 22, which in the church Bibles, if, could we have some of the church Bibles come around, please? Um, that's page 1095. That's 1095. And as the Bibles are coming out, let's just, let's just say a, a word of prayer. So Lord God, we thank you that we can hear from you through your word, that this is your living word, that it's sharper than a double-edged sword. And Lord, we invite you this morning to speak to us. We pray that you would help us to have our hearts and minds open and ready to receive what you would want to say to us. I pray, Holy Spirit, would you come Would you minister to us this morning? Have your way, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, as I say, we're in Acts 4, um, verses 1 to 22. And it says, The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame, and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. They called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, 
Which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, today I'd like to talk with you about power. You might have noticed that yesterday in the coronation service, there came a point where the Archbishop of Canterbury said, I here present unto you, Charles, your undoubted king. Your undoubted king. And the reason he was saying that was we don't want any power struggles. In, we know what Prince Charles looks like because we've seen him on telly, we've seen photos of him. Um, but in centuries gone by, people wouldn't necessarily have known what a monarch looked like and so it was important for the Archbishop of Canterbury to say this is your undoubted monarch. We don't need any power struggle. Power, you see, is such a part of life. Our lives are really impacted by who it is that holds the power. I have a particular interest in gender-based violence, which is all about uh, power imbalances. Um, We think about uh, political struggles or war, that's all about power. Immediately before our reading today, uh, Peter and John have encountered a beggar who has experienced a physical impairment from birth. So everyone knows the man and the man is healed. We have two sets of people in our reading. We have the rulers, and they include the priests, the captain of the temple guard, the Sadducees, the elders, teachers of the law, Annas, the high priest, and some of his family. And then we have the followers, Peter and John. And today, I'd like us to consider people's response to power. So we'll think about the ruler's response to power, we'll think about the follower's response to power, and then we'll think about our response to power. So we'll start, we'll start with the ruler's response. The rulers ask the following question. So they're really trying to work out what's going on here. And they say, by what power have you been able to work this miracle? This isn't a question of curiosity they are threatened by the power which can miraculously heal and which they don't have any control of. By what power? Some of you might remember um, a local council meeting that went viral with Jackie Weaver during lockdown. Do you remember that? And one of the councillors felt that his authority was being threatened and he said, you have no authority here, Jackie Weaver, no authority at all. And she might not have had authority, but she certainly had power, didn't she? She had power to evict him from the Zoom meeting, which is exactly what she did. The rulers in our reading today feel as though their authority is being threatened. They are the ones that should hold the authority, not Peter and John. 
they are in key positions within society, they are respected and revered, but it's obvious to everyone that God's power has been at work to bring about this miracle, not through the rulers, but through the followers, through Peter and John. The rulers aren't trying to deny that this miracle has happened, it's undeniable. This power is undeniable. What does it mean for the rulers to have that power then? Peter addresses that in his speech in verse 10. When they ask, by what power, Peter says, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. The rulers have had the power and they've used that power to crucify Jesus. That's what they did with their power. They put a stop to the one who was calling them out and challenging them, the one who was threatening their rule, their control. I came across some pictures um, on social media and uh, we might think about these pictures as, is there really any point to this? Or is this really achieving anything? So let's have a look at the first picture. So it's a sign that says, sign not in use. It's great. Okay, the next one. I don't know if you can see that clearly. Uh, it's, a, it's a balcony, but I don't know how you would get out there to use it. It seems like it would be treacherous to get there. Let's have a look at the next one. So this is a gate. Oh no, but I want to get through the gate. How am I going to manage it? Hey, we just walk around it. And the final one there. We'll wait for the penny to drop. In Matthew's Gospel, we're told that the chief priests and the Pharisees ask Pilate to put a guard on Jesus' tomb. They want to put a stop to this, this nonsense about Jesus being the Son of God. So they've come up with a cunning plan. They'll put these guards on the tomb and that will be the end of that. And 2,000 years later, it's still not the end of that. There's no point in trying to control God's power. And the rulers in our reading today, even knowing that this amazing miracle has happened, they still think that they can try to control the situation, so they threaten Peter and John to stop preaching the gospel. So that's the ruler's response to power. Let's have a think now about the follower's response to power. You'll notice the followers really aren't getting into this power struggle. Peter is bold in his speech, but he's not claiming the power as his own. He's very clearly directing it to God. And initially, it might sound as though he's suggesting that the rulers had the power and Jesus was powerless. I was once in the mystery plays at Canterbury Cathedral and um, at one of the tech rehearsals, the director's son, George, um, he was trying out the cross to make sure it was, it was working. 
And uh, so they tied George to this huge wooden cross and then they set the cross upright and George was going nowhere and the cross was going nowhere, so everything was good. And then the director called the other actors away and George was still there. He called out, I'll just wait here then. George could go nowhere. He had no control. He was stuck there. He was utterly powerless. But before Jesus goes to the cross, in Matthew 26, he says, do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? When we talk about death, often we use language like, she lost her battle to cancer. That's not what's happening here. It isn't that Jesus lost his battle at the cross. Jesus wasn't crucified because he lost his battle. This triune God was just as powerful at the cross as he was at creation. The God that spoke lands and seas and stars into being could easily have brought an end to that suffering at any moment. It wasn't the nails that held Jesus there as though he were somehow helpless. It wasn't anything external which held him there. At any point, he could have called out for those legions of angels. The awesome, mind-blowing force that held Jesus at the cross was love. Love for the Father and love for us. God's power doesn't ebb and flow, it's constant. So imagine this power that birthed an entire universe now doing battle with death itself. That power conquering death for you and me. That's amazing, that is amazing. But this, for the rulers, is a problem. Because the power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in Peter and John and is able to heal and restore in a way that the rulers could never hope to do. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but who God raised from the dead. God raised Jesus from the dead, never more to die. He's conquered sin and death, not just for himself, but for us, for all who trust in him. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? It is by the power of Jesus, whom you killed, but God raised to life. That's the power that we are observing in this healing. And unlike the power of the rulers, God's power is unstoppable. What the rulers killed, God raised 
back to life, conquering sin and death. God reverses the work of the rulers and he uses it for his own purposes. Then they have Peter and John arrested to try to put a stop to this. And what happens? We read in verse four that many hear about what's happening and they come to faith. And so their numbers grow more and more. As believers, we need to know that God's power for God's agenda, and that is key, for God's agenda, is an unstoppable force. Responding to the ruler's threats at the end of the reading, Peter and John reply, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And here is that power at work again. We cannot help speaking. We have found something more pressing than our comfort or our safety. We have encountered the risen Christ and nothing will ever be the same Again, we are compelled to share the good news of Jesus. So what does this mean for us? Well, I think first of all, we have to recognize what it doesn't mean. I think it doesn't mean that life will be plain sailing for us, that God will answer all of our prayers exactly as we would want him to, as though God were the servant and we were the monarch telling him what to do. What does this mean then? I think to understand that we have to think about our relationship to power. You see, I think secretly we would all like to have complete power over our lives. And I suspect some of us might like power over other people's lives as well. We don't want to be told what to do if it doesn't suit us. We don't want to be dependent on other people's resources. There's um, a famous poem called Invictus by William Ernest Henley, which many find a great inspiration. And it ends with these words. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishment the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. That was written in 1875, but it reflects what we value today, doesn't it? It shows our desperate struggle for power. It says, I don't care what the outcome is. I don't care what punishments there might be. As long as I have done it my way, as long as I have been master of my soul and captain of my fate, that's the main thing. As though that were the measure of success. Well, I'd like to suggest that that isn't the main thing. That's not what the Christian life invites us to. We're not required to be utterly powerless, and I want to be very clear here. There may be times that God calls us to use our power, especially in situations where there is an abuse of power. 
God may call us to speak out against things and to use power in those situations, whether it's abuse towards ourselves or other people. So we're not required to be powerless in those situations. I want to be very clear about that. But thinking about life more generally, we are required to relinquish the roles of master and captain over to God, to recognize that he has the power. And this is where the real power struggle is. It's what we see in the rulers and it's what we see in our own hearts. When we hold the power over our life rather than God, what we earn from that way of life is death. That way of life destroys us. Maybe there are areas of our life we have been resisting the will of God, as though we can somehow tell God how it's going to be. Maybe we even have some of those guards stationed. This far, God, and no further. When Jesus challenged the power and rule of the Jewish leaders, they plotted to kill him. They didn't want to be challenged. They didn't want to surrender their power to God. That struggle for power, that suggestion that they weren't functioning as they should, it was offensive and they wanted to put a stop to it. I wonder if you remember a month or so ago in the um, all-age slot, we hammered things into the cross. Do you remember that? And Becky reminded us of a verse in the hymn, How Deep the Father's Love for Us, which says, Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. And this is what that means for me. If I'd have been there at that time and heard the teaching of Jesus, the suggestion that I couldn't live as I wanted to and still be considered a good person, that I couldn't be master and captain and still know peace with God, that I didn't have the power to reach God in my own strength, I know indignation would have risen up within me. I'd have been offended. And so I play that scene out, myself in that crowd, fighting, battling for the lordship in my life. And I know the words on my lips. The words I am spitting out as I fight to be master of my soul, are crucify him. We see the power struggle in the rulers within our reading, but if we are harboring any illusion that we are somehow different, then to quote Peter, know this. It is in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified.
that demand that we be master and captain of our life. That's what the Bible calls sin, and it brings about death. That song continues, it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. Here's the thing. We have to understand our culpability in the crucifixion in order to truly rejoice in the resurrection. I'll say that again. We have to know our culpability in the crucifixion in order to truly rejoice in the resurrection. Through dying and rising again, Jesus conquered the power of sin and death for us. When we trust in his gift of righteousness, we can enjoy that second part of Peter's statement just as much as we might mourn the first part. It is in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but who God raised from the dead. That's the power at work here. There is victory. There is victory over the things in our lives which would bring about eternal death in us. And instead, we are given eternal life. Salvation is found in no one else. It's good news. It's good news. And so, day by day, sometimes even moment by moment, our challenge as followers, fellow followers, is to let the power sit with God, to recognize Jesus as our undoubted King, to remember that his power is at work within us, molding us into the likeness of Christ, causing us to live more holy lives. That same power is at work, bringing us from death to life. Peter and John were prepared to risk death even, because they knew that Jesus had overcome death, and they knew that he would be faithful to his promise of eternal life. So even when we near our death, we can have confidence that God's awesome, universe-creating sized power has overcome death for us. And God promises eternal life. Now for many of us, death might feel a long way off, but of course we never know what's going to happen. The fact that Jesus has overcome death gives us incomparable hope. But also on a day-to-day basis, we don't need to battle for power. I know in my own experience, the times that I feel most contented in life are times that I recognize my smallness before 
almighty God. Times I can function from a surrendered state. Not struggling to gain power, but resting in the reassurance that ultimately God holds the power and comforted in the knowledge that the power can be held in no safer hands. Let's pray. Wonderful God, we thank you for all that you've done for us. And Lord, we want to say that we are sorry for the times that we have wanted to be master and captain. Lord, we recognize our part in the crucifixion. We know that it was our sin that took you through all of that. And we're so grateful, Lord, that you were willing to do all of that for us. But Lord, we also rejoice in your goodness, your gift of righteousness, your gift of eternal life. Lord, I pray that you would make that truth so real to us that we would live in that sense of hope. And Lord, would you draw us ever deeper in our knowledge and love of you that we would be able to live lives surrendered to you, our King of Kings. Amen.